Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hello. The world's really loud today. Outside. It's raucous and rambunctious for a Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I record this before you hear it. It's not live when I'm talking to you at the start of the podcast. That's recorded. I know, the wonders of modern technology. How are you all? It's been a while. Well, it's only been two weeks. But, you know, it feels like a while. I've been quite busy trying to do the old... uh, earning of rent and stuff but there being a little gap in the podcasts meant I had a little bit of additional time to write some music which has been awesome to be fair it's still the thing I love to do most anyway welcome to episode 8 of Falling Forward with Dan Lassac this week's guest is someone who works in the music industry making the most of it for artists helping artists to to connect with their audience in an actual meaningful way rather than in a grubby, cash-grabby way. His name's Darren Hemmings. He runs a company called Motive Unknown. If you're in the music industry, you probably... That's my doorbell. One sec, I'll be back. I'm back. That was uh, the Labour Party at my door. Um, Talking about the elections this week. Uh, yeah, don't forget, if you listen to this on Tuesday or Wednesday in the UK, you've got the EU elections to vote on. I ain't going to tell you who to vote for, but <laughs> I know who you shouldn't vote for, you know? Shitposting YouTubers who will just say anything for a buck. <laughs> but also, look at, look at who you've got the choice between and think of it like your car. You know, if your car isn't working, do you get the guy who's just going to go sit in your car and tell your car how shit it is over and over again? Or do you go for the guy or girl who's going to get in your car and try to fix it? Try to fix the problem of the car, you know? Anyway, anyway, music industry stuff. We've talked about that, haven't we? It's a good podcast this week. It's a really good one. Uh, 
really awkward segue. I'm leaving this in. Um, also, I just really want to say thank you to everyone who's throwing support over on Patreon. We're getting really close to $100 a month, and that makes it far, far easier for me to do this, especially as I still, my own insistence that I have to go travel to everyone and sit down and talk to them face to face. But that is just because it makes it far easier. If you don't know the person, it's so much easier to build a rapport in person than it is on the phone. Like, you can't see the cool faces I'm pulling right now, all the sincerity and gratitude in my face, even though you can't hear it in my voice. Because I'm not an actor. I'm not good at that. But yeah, and if you're not already supporting on Patreon, I'm not going to guilt trip you into it or anything, you know. I'm not going to make you feel bad about it, that, that you're listening to this and... and all my hard work and stuff. I'm not going to make you feel bad about that. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> but yeah, it's patreon.com forward slash Dan Lissack is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> this is the dumbest intro. I haven't done it in a fortnight. Um, also, talking about fortnightly, we're going to stay fortnightly for a little while, um, maybe three or four episodes, and we'll see where we're after that. Partially because I have to go away and visit my lady wife because she lives in the States. So, you know, I, I, I need to see her. Um, but also because the pod being fortnightly probably avoids me getting any old guest. Not that I would. Not that I would just take any old chaff for the, for the pod. But there is a, a bit of me that realizes now that it's a lot of work to get a fresh guest every single week. Like, how Pip does too, some weeks, is amazing to me. Although, I think he might have like 500 episodes pre-recorded. I don't even know if he's still alive. I think he may be some sort of weekend at Bernie's type character at this point, And his mates are just putting out the podcasts for him. <laughs> Why did I think of weekend at Bernie's? But yeah. Hang about the end for who's up next week and stuff. Oh, music, again, is all stuff off danlasack.bandcamp.com. Oh, and yeah, yeah, if you are a Patreon or a Twitch sub, you got the tracks from the Philosophy Tube episode in your inboxes, so make sure you look for those as well. Bit of a rambling intro this week, like every other week. Anyway, on with the show. This is me and Darren Hemmings having a chat at the Motive Unknown offices in that there London. Enjoy the police sirens. They were great. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. It's been me on Twitter saying that I'm putting, putting music out for the first time, which I'm finding deeply ironic. In a, in Having a, worked in music for how long now? Uh... I mean, there was a sort of six-year layover period. I started at Sony Music in 97, and then I left the music business in about 2000, 2001, and then I went back in in about 2008, and uh, and I've been in it ever since. But yeah, it was definitely, I think the re-entry was the point at like, yeah, I'm out. <laughs> I'm yeah, not gonna yeah, make yeah. music anymore. I'm done. I can't do both. If you're gonna do it all day for work, uh, you're not gonna do it for pleasure afterwards. But I've just kind of revisited that, and it's been interesting, mm. quite eye-opening to do. So yeah, it's uh, so that's been my day on Twitter. It's been quite quite strange to sort of say, yeah, yeah, I know I'm the bloke that does the music marketing stuff, but actually now I'm swapping sides and I've I've made something, and it's going to you're be the wrong. enemy now. No, wait, that's wrong. Well, I'm sort of curious because it is that thing of like you put the shoe on the other foot and suddenly. It is a bit of a like, oh, this is what he looks like from this side of the fence. You know, when you're sat there going, I've made something, now what? Because yeah. I'm not an artist. Like, I work with artists who have already achieved. So they've got past the, the really hard bit, yeah. which is getting anyone to care about your work. And they've got to the point where plenty of people care. Enough people care that it's a business, you know. Yeah, the, and within that, the, I'm then they involved. Can, they need someone to do your yeah. job. Yeah, yeah. But the bit before that is the horror bit, isn't it? It's the kind of, you know, no one cares mm. bit. And I now find myself on, like, day one. Which <laughs> <laughs> is like, nobody cares. You know, and the production and everything else is probably pretty poor. Uh, but there's just this sort of... Didn't stop me. But, well, you know what? I mean, I've got to say, I mean, I've got to blame this guy, Gino, who writes the, an, uh, an amazing blog called Microchop that looks at how music is made with, you know, it's predominantly a hip hop focus. And I was reading that last Christmas, and in that, it, it was this whole thing about how Diller had made donuts in, in, when he was in hospital with just a 404 mm-hmm. sampler and a, and a portable record player. And I was kind of like, Jesus, you know. If that's literally all he made it on, that is bonkers, you know, and it's now considered a seminal record, yeah. literally made by a guy in his hospital bed. And, it, and then I started reading other articles, and it just made me realise that it, in my head, of, you know, you, 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 you kind of take this view of producers of being, uh, you know, they're all just brilliant, 
you know, and they were all incredibly talented at tweaking sound and everything else. And then as you read more and more of his articles, you realise that most of them were just like the rest of us, in that they were sort of just, just, just bowling into it with an urge to create. And then in creating, they were kind of, you know, they weren't sat there spending 10 hours finessing the hi-hat. Yeah. It was just like, get, the, get this down, you know, get the vibe and get it out. Mm. And I, it just really inspired me. And I kind of reawakened this kind of, you know, it was like the, the boilers was just on the, on the pilot light for 10 years of just like it's there. And it sort of manifests through passion for music in terms of my day job. And I'm very lucky to have a job where I you know, work in music and, and all of that. I mean, pros and cons, which I'm sure we may come to. But, <laughs> uh, you know, in, in, in working in music, it's, uh, it's just, it's, it's nice. But it, yeah, the, 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 the creative urge where you need to express yourself and you need to just make stuff had, had sort of gone to sleep. And it was like reading these, just sort of was something like the boiler fired again. It was yeah. like, hang on, I want to I wanna have another run at this. And then it turned out that a bunch of my mates had done the same thing, where they'd lapsed and, you know, life got in the way, jobs, family. And there's a few of us now are a bit like, no, we, we want to do this. Mm. And it's not, I think the nice thing is now, I'm at a point in my life where I'm, you know, I'm old. And so I don't, I don't need the validation that comes with, with when you're younger. Yeah. And that's even better because I used to watch people that just played in pubs for a living. Well, not for a living, but just they were their their aspiration in music was just to play in a pub, and they were totally happy with that. And I was always a bit jealous that someone could just enjoy the moment of playing, mm. and and that was it. And there was no like thing where they were seeing it as like well you know I'm playing in a pub and I might get spotted and I might get signed and I might get a deal and I might get more famous and then da, 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 I might the, be um, you know whoever it's the one <laughs> the one thing of like uh, any form of art as soon as it becomes like your job as soon as mm. it becomes commoditized in some way and you start relying on that income yeah it's really hard to keep the joy of doing part yeah on top of the, you know, the, yeah. the actual, trying to keep those two things separate at the same time as still earning money from it. So if you were approaching it from that point of view of this doesn't, not doesn't matter, but this doesn't matter. This mm. isn't, this isn't designed to pay my mortgage or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, or in my case, get me a mortgage <laughs> in the first place. Um, then you're, you can be freer to create, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think for me it was, it's just that thing of having that outlet. And it's, it's you know, it's it, it's a weird one because as someone that runs a business that along the way, you know, just got kind of grossly over-involved with it and had an epic kind of burnout, you know, followed by nine months of depression and, you know, really, really bleak. Uh, <laughs> headspace to be in. It's funny how going are you looking to forward music? to the rest of the podcast, listeners? <laughs> We're going there. I've written down mental health. Don't worry, we'll yeah, get, yeah. get to um, it. But but having done that, it's you know you realise uh, how much making music lifts you. You know, and and it's and it is just getting back to that thing of it. Just it's like I you know I will put music out, but I'm totally fine if only five people play it. Mm. Like I'm not. I will never sit there and be like oh. I can't yeah. believe I'm not the next whomever. You know, it's just, 
is that there's a joy in the process. It's a bit like that Buddhist thing of like, you know, it's, it's the journey, not the destination sort yeah. of thing. And the only reason I'm putting stuff out is because I'm sat there being like, well, it just sort of feels like the logical end point. You're going to make a song. And these days, the irony is releasing a song is, is no longer a, 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 a trial. You know, you, it doesn't require a ton of money. No, because you no longer have to get, you know, you don't have to pony up a grand to get X number of yeah. seven, 12 inches, whatever, made up and then find a distributor and all that horror. You can literally go to DistroKid with 25 quid mm. and I think if be you put in the market. One song, DistroKid's like $9. <clears throat> yeah. So it's, it, you know, so you've got that kind of. And it be on room. like Spotify in two days. Yeah. You know, it's amazing. Which is insane. I mean, so it's amazing. I think it's also a problem in the, the you know, it's that thing of like when you know when it, it, it when it's limited and it's special because only a few people can do it, it it carries value but when when everyone can do it it's not so special anymore yeah and there's a struggle there but so we'll come to that we will <laughs> come to that there's a uh, there's the phrase chronic abundance written there yes um, <laughs> this is the throwing forward but what we haven't done is actually say what you do how yeah. do you describe yourself to um I'm, I run a company called Motive Unknown. Uh, we've been around for about eight years. And we, we, I've always struggled with explaining what we do. I, I mean, a, a crass way of saying it, if I, was, if I was trying to talk to someone in a business sense, is I suppose we're just a company of smart people who help artists make more money. Mm. Um, and that was originally through digital marketing. So we, you know, we started out, I started out doing marketing for all kinds of releases, including... One of yours, two of yours, actually. Two of ours. Yeah, albums two and three. Where you know I had some involvement with, um, but uh, yeah, increasingly we you know we're getting involved more with e-commerce and with with just uh, you know help helping artists find smarter ways to to operate in a in a time where I guess we're you know I, I wouldn't I wouldn't go as far as to say we're post-label, but I think there's you know there's uh, it's never been a better time to be a, an artist of a certain level. Because the power is very much coming back to them, yeah. And they, you know, the smart artists can now take things on and 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 exploit stuff. And I think perhaps if if a criticism of music these days is or or, or a, a problem with it is that it's one of a much greater volume of uh, distractions in the world mm. because there are apps and there are games and you know that those worlds are bigger and bigger and bigger than they ever were. You know, we're peeled back thirty years and it was like you had music and films was pretty much it yeah. <laughs> for entertainment that's what you did it was those um paper block things um you could open them words. yeah 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 like books but, you know, kindles remember those, remember those well uh and analog, and analog books yeah. <laughs> but the, you know so now with, the, with all these things it means yes there's there's a great number of distractions but actually i think smart artists can kind of get involved in all of that as well mm. and just look at it as like there's only and you know, and it's something I always say is like, there's only you know an artist or a band and their fans, and 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 sort of everything in between is is just sort of people almost getting in the way. And I'm aware that I am one of those people, but I suppose Motive Unknown tries to help artists maybe reduce the number of people that are involved. Yeah, and and sort of taking from because we process. we were about to we sort of touch on this before we started. There was. Uh, the campaign you first worked on for me and Pip was um, Logic of Chance, and it yeah. was it was a weird time for us because we we'd gone from Angles being like the ragtag uh, 
boys, independent, like, oh, we're just lucky to be here. And mm. then we'd finished Logic a Chance and we w- went into this meeting and there was us two. And then there was like two people digital marketing, a TV plugger, two different types of radio plugger. Oh, squad. Two di- <laughs> and there was like, I think there was like 11, 12 people in that room yeah. about to market this thing I'd written in a, the spare bedroom. Yeah. You know, and it yeah, was yeah. like, what? And uh, it is a really odd thing that I think a lot of music consumers, listeners, don't realize how many jobs a song creates. <clears throat> yeah. Or, especially then, I think that there are less less people involved in a lot of campaigns now, which I personally think is a good thing. Mm. But, like, yeah, there's a period of time where even a band of me and Pip size, which was never huge, yeah, could be supporting a ton of supporting, people. yeah, like it I sort of it reminds me a bit. Is, is I think it was Buzz Aldrin, wasn't it? Where someone said he was sat there once looking at, at the space, you know, the, whatever it was, Saturn Five that was going to take them up to the moon, and someone said, "Oh, what are you thinking?" And his and his famous quote was something like, "I'm thinking that everyone that built a part on that spaceship was was the lowest bidder." You know, on the price to, to make it happen, and it's sort of a bit like that. I'd imagine when you when you're an artist and you walk in the room and you see like twelve people, there must be a thing of like thinking, "I'm wondering how much money's going to be left when all of these people have been yeah. paid," because everyone's getting getting a bit. You know? I I always found it funny as well was that with using space analogies, it's like, and NASA always had like a one percent uh, failure rate mm. on parts on the space shuttle. That yeah, was yeah. their optimum was one percent and it's like okay how many parts is that oh, it's about two and a half thousand yeah two and a half thousand parts <laughs> failed. Like, and that's good it's like, that's and, a bonus. but that always felt like the music industry to me like it, it the no matter how much work the artist put in like all the failures along the way seem to be accounted for mm. and instead of it seemed to be expected yeah. Rather than accounted for, is yeah, what I mean. Yeah. It's like they, instead of saying, well, let's not make that mistake, it's yeah. like, well, that might happen. It's like, well, let's fix that. Let's not do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Try not to let it happen. I mean, it was something I liked about being predominantly, you know, when I returned to the music business in like 2008, 2009, it was in the indie side. And it always felt like, at least on the indie side, there wasn't just that sense of like, the throw 10 things at the wall and just kind of pray that one of them recoups enough to yeah. know, to cover the, the, the hit of the other nine kind of failing. And, and and in India, there just wasn't the room. You know, you couldn't have a record be a horrific failure. You know, there would be accountability. Mm. You couldn't just sort of be like, move on, you know, yeah. next. It didn't work like that. So, and I think it's been great because it does sort of still inform my view now of like, well, no, you can't just kind of, you know, spaff three grand on stuff that might work. It's like, is it going to work or not? Yeah. You know, we've got to try really, really hard because this is people's money we're spending. And at every point, we've got to understand that. Mm. And, you know, we've done a lot around that of boring stuff within the business to just, you know, it's great to hit a point where around e-commerce, you know, with, with any of our clients. But, you know, first of all, it was with Run the Jewels to just go, right, you know, we've spent this much on ads, mm. but we've made you this much back. So there was an absolutely black and white, mm-hmm. you know, if you spent whatever, you know, $100, for example, and you got, you know, $1,000 back, then it was like, 
and there's no then vague conversation. It was sort of like, fine, we'll just carry on spending, yeah. you know, because it's making money. And, and we all knew where we were. So it's like, it's quite refreshing after working in recorded music only, where, I mean, to this day, you know, we've had artists where we've talked about doing percentage deals, but we've kind of sat there thinking, well, a percentage of what? Yeah. But by the time everyone's chipped away all their stuff, I don't even know what I'm getting a percentage of. Yeah. So it's just such a liability. We can't do those kinds of deals. I, it's it's I've, terrible. I've obviously always been very open about the money side of things on on social media and stuff. And like, I, people don't realise that even a truly <clears throat> independent band, if they say they're touring, there's still a lot of places that money has to go. Yeah. Even even a band who has no label, they've still probably got someone driving the van. Oh, and they're still renting that van. And yeah. they're douche to douche and it all those things that the song, the performance they're being paid for, they they get chipped away to oh, the yeah. extent that even with me and Pip being only two people, yeah. we were throughout our career the minority the lowest amount of money made from our music. Yeah. And uh, to me, that is an industry that doesn't have an end game. Yeah. Because if the people who create your technically only product mm. are the ones being who can't survive on it, yeah, you you're not you're not building toward a future. But yeah. the problem is, is that's how capitalism works. And, well, it, yeah, I mean, it is, and it's. I think unfortunately, it's like it speaks. You know, there's an overlap to the to the things like the well-being problem in in the music industry, which is that there's a sort of sense that you know, once we're done with you, there's another hundred Q and yeah. in the block to get in the door. So there's a sort of transience of like, well, we don't care if we chew you up and spit you out because we've got others. You know, you're replaceable. It's the the mental health thing with with all creators, there there's you're gonna have a peak. There's always gonna be a, a place where you are are the biggest you're ever gonna be. Mm. And it is really interesting when you talk to art artists after that peak. Yeah. Because there's no, I'm not saying that there should be a like a support network for for bands post mm. post their peak. Yeah, yeah. But no one talks about the fact that you are gonna feel loss. You are gonna feel um, lost as well. Yeah. In that, and you see it. There's a, there's plenty of artists who've had that peak and then are still working away, and you just see that their tone online becomes more and more negative and more and more yeah, defeated yeah. by the industry. Yeah. And genuinely a lot of people if I think if we had we were more careful with artists on the way in, mm. like these are the possibilities but this is the reality. Yeah, yeah. We might be doing doing the industry more of a service. But that also applies to labels. That also applies to the people in the industry because there's so many people who uh, burn out and end up leaving. So much talent that leaves any creative industry because oh, yeah. of working 17-hour days to get jobs done. You know, people... Yeah, well, there's a sort of consistent thing I've seen of people just going, do you know what? I no longer seek the validation of, of, of music. You know, I don't need, <coughs> I don't need to be in music and I know I can earn a lot more money not being in music because music just doesn't pay 
that well compared mm. to you know the I mean in certain spheres you know there's definitely I mean and you know my world kind of online marketing and things like that is is one of them you know where you, if if you go and do that in a multitude of other industries you'd be on two or three times what you earn in mm. in music so it's quite common to see you remember you know I mean when I started uh, again in music in about 2009 doing digital properly uh, you know, you had people like Ian Rogers at Topspin, who was quite a sort of bit of a rock star kind of developer, marketing the, guy. Topspin are kind of hard to describe what they did to, to like a layman, but they they kind of handled the direct to consumer. Yeah, they were like the all the all the direct to fan sort of structure that an artist would need. So they kind of allowed e-commerce, but they gave you a mailing list management system and stuff like that. And they kind of integrated with Facebook as well. Yeah, they did all sorts of stuff. You remember they used to do the email for media, you know, so yeah. get your email and we'll send you a track and stuff like that. And Ian kind of co-founded that. Um, and but and there was another guy whose name escapes me. Oh, Ethan Kaplan was another one who was, again, quite a sort of visionary digital guy. And yeah, kind of fast forward a little while, you know, and Ian jumped ship to go to LVMH in Paris. So kind of went all the way across and suddenly at yeah. Louis Vuitton and all them. Uh, and I think Ethan went to Fender, so sort of still music, but not music industry. Not but definitely music. a different, a yeah, different, different, different world. Level. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it was just, there was a period where it just felt there was a real brain drain of the smart people just going, do you know what? Oh, this is just bollocks, you know, mm. I'm, I'm done. I can't the bother. thing about that, that brain drain, we can, like, Apple and HMV, HMV's demise over yeah. the long term can actually be traced to Apple launching. Mm. Because Apple, when they started, once, they, once they'd opened um, Regent Street, they just gutted HMV of management. Mm. They took graduate managers, they took, they, but they wouldn't take head office, they wouldn't take regional managers, they took the the people who worked on a shop floor for a number of years, and literally, if go to any Apple store, store and you will find at least one, two people who came from H&V. Wow. And you can see that H&V struggled. They, mm. they had centralized buying because they didn't have the talent in stores to manage that, so like buying became mm. irrelevant. If you had a big jungle scene, you, couldn't, you didn't have any jungle in your store because whoever at head office yeah, yeah. and uh, it is when an industry loses all that talent it might not happen immediately but it hurts in the long run you yeah know? yeah it's a you know I mean all those things I think and they, and they set they just set that weird precedent where you know if a bunch of people in a, in a six-month period all exit the music industry for posh jobs elsewhere it looks like a viable career move for anyone else on the rise, you know, mm. on the way up, because they're kind of thinking, oh, I'll just get to this point and then pivot out mm. to luxury brand or you know, film company or any of those sorts of things. And, and I can't really blame them. Like, you know, it's it's an interesting, you know, it's, it's been funny for me. Like, I only started Motive Unknown as just out of a, out of a sense of frustration at the time of looking around thinking, oh, there's all this cool stuff going on like stuff like Top Spin and, and it was a sort of emergence of that thing of you know maybe artists can be quite empowered and do cool things that really put the fan first and ask what they want mm. and it's kind of easy to forget I mean even now there's this thing of like you know labels are dictating what they want to do because the label is serving its interests not the fans mm. you know it's all about what it can get and it's it's just not you know, it's not, it isn't looking at the fan first and going, well, what do they want? They're going, well, this is what we need. Mm. And fuck it, we'll just make that work. 
but the, you know that emergence of, of, of top speed and all those things you know it caused me to start my company and uh, it was basically a one-man outfit you know left first client was old J, so I kind of landed a winner in yeah. that, that happened and uh, that led to a lot of other work but it was interesting in that and you've sense. You've done a lot, you know, like like you say, old J, but then you've done stuff <laughs> with Blink One Eight Two, Jay Diller. Uh, who else did I write down? Slade. I had to write down Slade. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the award winning box set with Slade. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did, uh, yeah, I mean, we've done a. I mean, you know, I think there's always things. I'm always a bit wary of, you know, tacking your name on the stuff. I, you know, I'm very proud of what I achieved with Alt J as part of that team mm. and I'm continue to be really proud of what I do with Run the Jewels and I think actually you came in at Run the Jewels in the second album yeah it was part way into Run the Jewels 2 and it's it's a funny story right I've never told anyone this and, and even the band and management don't know but at the point when Run the Jewels phoned me up I was struggling in a really bad place with depression and work had just broken me, and I think when you run your own business, you, you know, you you, it's your thing, and you mm. you know you it's only your thing. So you you're kind of always on because yeah, there's you know to to not be always on is is to sort of potentially fail. So that was my view. It's like I have to work around the clock, and was sort of entirely unaware of mental health. Full stop. You know, just didn't occur to me that yeah. that was a thing. Well, not that it was a thing, obviously it's a thing, but I never once felt like it could happen to there's, me. There's that point in, in depression that I, you you know you feel like shit. Yeah. But you don't realise that there's another way to feel. It's yeah, like, I mean... This I think, is just life. I think the know? worry for me was when I stopped feeling anything. Mm. And that was when I was like, fuck, this is really bad. Yeah. And it was like a light had gone out. And I was just... Absolutely, at the bottom of the of uh, you know of a really you know it's, it was horrible because you know on the face of it nothing was wrong. Mm. I hadn't lost anyone. I hadn't split up. I was still you know I've been in a relationship for twenty one years soon. Mm. You know I've got a twelve year old son now. Um, it, it, everything in that sense was fine, but I just completely overcooked my capacity for my head you know yeah. and, and and burned out so I was kind of struggling quite a lot with that and I had uh, a kind of moment where it's almost like you know your subconscious clawing back and uh, and it was very much sitting there to say you know if you you know to get out of this you've got to fight for for things you love and you've got to really do that but the music that sort of soundtrack that fight was <laughs> Run the Jewels too. Yeah. Because it's very adrenalized. It's very just like, come on, you know. Yeah. And it was sort of, it was, a, it was the album that literally was, it was like it was kicking me up the arse to climb out of the trench. Yeah. You know, get it's, out of it. It's funny because, like, I've always heard a bit of LP on the, the Run the Jewels record saying, fuck you. Like a little bit of like, obviously, yeah. that guy's worked, you yeah. know. And yeah, yeah. he's had many stages to his career. He ran Death yeah. Jux as well, which yeah, is the, yeah. the, one of the labels that got me into hip hop. And, you know, that alongside Big Dada were mm. really important labels to me. And then, obviously, he's, it, Run the Jewels seemed like, oh, LP hasn't just retired. 
Yeah. It, I'm not saying, do you know what I mean? But it definitely felt like he was like, I'm I'm done, I've done what I can. Yeah, yeah. And then it was like, actually, no, fuck you guys. I'm, we're yeah, going to yeah, I've, do... I've got something to... Something massive. To prove. You know, which is awesome, you know? Yeah, and it was, I mean, you know, and it was a revelation <laughs> for me. And, uh, you know, and, and so... It was just really bizarre. I mean, it was literally, I was clawing myself out of a hole um, whilst trying to keep the business running and, and all of that. Um, and then got a phone call from uh, a lady called Zena, who at the time ran a company in, she was then in London. She now runs Partisan in uh, in New York, but she was over here and she, you know, her business kind of represented run the jewels for Europe. Mm. And she just kind of said, look, you know, would you like to get involved? And I mean, I would have taken it for free, you know, because mm. I was just Still like, that. it was, but it was that thing of, you know, I mean, there's music I like. So, you know, when, when Mass Appeal said, you want to work on this little posthumous Jay Diller release, it was just like, yeah, of course I do. Yeah. You know, and like, I think we might be getting involved with Madlib and Freddie Gibbs soon. And that's another one where I'm like, Jesus, you know, yeah, of course. Amazing. But, but Run the Jewels 2 is a truly special record for me because you know it 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 was it was a big big turning point in my life from like being at the lowest point mm. to to climbing out of it and seeing a point on the horizon so it was sort of ironic because it was the music that dug me out of the hole um but then arguably it was the work with run the jewels that sort of accelerated my kind of climb back because mm. equally that you know they they are a team that make me bring my A game you know I think when you're involved in any team the team is either kind of super conducive to you as a, yeah. as a person and a, as a I guess a creative individual trying to find solutions um, or, or it isn't and it's stifling and it's yeah. rather sort of irritating and depressing to work on not you know it just just drags you down draws the life out mm. a bit you know you're like we've got this idea and someone you know don't give a fuck yeah it's like oh but what about this and you all your energy is like sapping out of it whereas we run the jewels it's the opposite way round so before know. the music I worked in the global communications for Ernst and Young mm. and uh, yeah yeah that corporate environment like mind melting we had this little team of mm. communicators who, yeah. who had to express things but it was all internal it was all about expressing things yeah. to the rest of Ernst and Young and just the level of depression in that team, because oh. no matter how bland an idea, it would be just crushed. Because the people who ran that company were accountants. But do, I mean, that do you think it's job. like it's a thing like, like so? You know, when I left uni, I I uh, I've always been good with computers, so I taught a friend to use a PC. I was off at uni in Brighton, learning bizarrely, doing a, a course in ostensibly how to be a librarian nice but did i did i mean it's great my dissertation i they said oh you can either write a dissertation which is like millions of words or do a project and i was like what's a project and they said well you can basically make something and write about it and i was like right well i'm in on that because that's yeah. way easier went to my local record shop and said if i build you a website with a shop and this is bearing in mind this is like 1994 or five mm. you know, very early days what record shop uh it was a shop called woodstock records in st albans mm. um and I said, I'll do it for 500 quid in vinyl. And he was like, brilliant, because obviously for him it's wholesale. So it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he was benefiting. And I just, I, I, you know, I got a 2-1. But I left, and there was no use for that at all. And my no. mate, in the meantime, who I'd literally just shown him how a PC works, he was working on the trading floor at the stock exchange doing IT support. Because wow. that was the way it was then. And he was like on 60 grand a year. And he was like, yeah, I'm rich. You know, contractors and all that. So he said, oh, you've got to come and do this. So I said, all right. 
So I went off and worked at banks, and it was the same thing of, you're just sitting there looking around going, this can't be it. Yeah, <laughs> this can't yeah. be life. And yeah. every day I would sit on the train, and I remember listening to things like Introducing by DJ Shadow or kind of OK Computer and stuff like that, all the way into the city and just thinking, fuck. Yeah. It's like I can feel my life just ebbing away, and it can't be this fucking bad. You know? Yeah. And then it was just the strangest thing because I, I was doing IT sport. I wound up working at Revlon because I just went back to, it was when you were a contractor. I went yeah. back to the contractor, but he was like, please never put me in a financial thing. I'll work anywhere. <laughs> and they went, Revlon? I was like, makeup, models. I'm in. I'm so, in. <laughs> so in I went. And then after that, I was like, you know what? I love music. I'd love to work in the music business. And I know that makes me sound like it's back because I'm sure everyone says this. And the bloke was like, yeah, fair enough. And then he just rang me up and said, uh, yeah, we thought of you because um, Sony Music needs someone. And I was like, you know I'm in and I got the job and that was how I got into the music business you know but yeah there was definitely a thing of of just sitting there at some point looking around feeling like you know no one else speaks your language Mm. and everyone in the banks being like yeah no I'm going to get another Merc or I'm going to get Beamer and I'm sat there and I was was probably earning more money then than I've ever earned since and I was just sat looking around going Jesus Christ this can't be it can it when you leave uni it's like is this the rest of my life this is awful the thing I found really funny was like when I I told people I was going to leave leave Ernst and Young and do the music thing Mm. they looked at me like I was some sort of idiot yeah yeah. you can't relate you got a job job for however long you know like that was a long term job like I could have well I could have had a house by now I could own property by now if I'd stayed there but it's like yeah but I'm I'm fucking it's, sad. I walk across the London Bridge every day and I yeah. want to jump off it. <laughs> but I think it's, it's, it's... I remember having this conversation with a few friends of mine where it was like, is it a curse to be creative? Because your urge to create is so strong that it, it you know, it, it definitely guides your worldview. You mm. know, and for me, and I dare say you, given your, your background, it's like, you know, music sort of pumps through your blood and it's just a... You know, take the music away from you, and you, and you, you know, your your half a person is left, sort of thing, and it's almost, almost like a curse, because because mm. you, you you can't not do it, and that was the thing for me was like I couldn't imagine any world where I wasn't around music, yeah, and which is why you know it was it was great to follow that path and you know and do all that stuff, and now it's great because I still you know I'm a fan first and foremost. Um, and, and I'm sort of, it's like in the work with, with RTJ, I'm quite well known for being the, the fan on the team, mm. you know, so I speak as a fan and, and I, you know, if I don't like stuff, it's because I'm a fan and, you know, so when there's merch, I'm sat there and if it's like, I wouldn't wear it and this is yeah, why, yeah. it's like I'm saying it as a fan, not as, you know, someone with a I, chip I on I think you can see it with bands who, who have people around them who actually care, Yeah, you know, who aren't going to make... I'm gonna let that band make a not dumb decision, but but compromise on something that could be done better. You know, and it, yeah. it's important to. Well, it's something I remember. I we we were on a call once with LP, and um, and he said something which has sort of defined how I view Run the Jewels ever since. Where he was saying, you know, you can be the better person and still make a good living. Mm. Like, in order to be successful, you don't have to, like, crush all those in front of you. The, you, yeah. can, you can, and it's, it's like, even the way I run Motive Unknown, like, 
now it's growing, you know, and soon there's going to be nine of us. And it's like, you know, we have a profit share. So if we have a bumper year and we've done really well, everyone benefits, mm. you know, and, and I want, having worked in a lot of businesses that use and abuse staff to, to hire them and just like, you're there, you will do that job. And I don't really give a shit about your career path or what you're doing. You're just, that's the job you're paid to do. And then if you get bored of it and you want to go and do something else, we'll fine. Just get someone. See you later, we'll yeah. replace you. My view is that my staff are very dear to me and I don't, I would kind of, if I can have, you know, zero staff turnover because my staff continue to grow and develop and kind of show me what they've got, you know, yeah. bring, their, bring their best work and, and enjoy it and, and all those things, then I'm doing it right. So within the company, there's very much of a thing of, you know, and again, there's the well-being thing of like, you know, given what happened to me and my company's grown after that. Um, you know, I believe quite strongly that those things come from the top down. So I do try and, and you know, instill a culture here. Like, no, we don't work weekends and we don't do 15-hour days. You know, that's not yeah. a norm that I want to set. And, and it's partly because our job involves us being, uh, you know, clear-thinking, creative people. Yeah. And you can't do that when you're burdened with, you know, I've no. got five million things on my head and I'm sort of buckling under the weight of it. That's not when you have your best ideas. No. So we have to think clearly. And it's sort of, it, I mean, it's working at the moment. You know, I haven't had anyone leave who's joined yet. <laughs> oh, I've had one person, but that was fine. That was, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was good in the way that he, he went. And yeah. It remains dear to us and everything else. So in that sense of like, I guess in the phase two of Motive Unknown after I kind of bounce back, if you like, Alan Partridge style, then... Uh, <laughs> Then yeah, it's 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 uh, it's been a you know a good good team and it works well. Um, it's something that the music industry, very few creative industries, talk about with with crunch as they call it in games crunch. This right. this like this has to happen and we don't care about the human cost of it. Okay. Um, you know, games companies like the people running Fortnite, they they're. they're running yeah. 80, 90 hour weeks, people yeah. are sleeping on the floor and you know, yeah. this is not the way to run no. a, a business. But what I, I find is that so few industries are willing to actually talk openly about it mm. as well. Yeah. Because everyone's guilty of it. You know, yeah. Yeah. like everyone's, every company has forced staff to stay on later. Even self-employed people have forced themselves to stay on later. But I don't know where that comes from. I don't know why we, we've we got ourselves in this situation, especially in creative industries where a lot of people are self-sufficient, mm. that we're forcing each ourselves to, like, kill ourselves, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think... It, I mean, it does puzzle me because there's there's two sides to approach it from. One is that it's kind of like, you know, it's wrong and you shouldn't, shouldn't treat people that way, you know, and it's, it's, it's rooted in a sort of critical negative standpoint of going, you know, this is not right, mm. this, is, this is bad and you should not be doing it in all you know, terms like that. But I think this, the, the perversity is that there's a much simpler truth, which is that I just think happier people do better work. Mm. And in, in my job, you know where we have to try and find better ways of doing things and all that sort of stuff. You know they're not gonna they're not gonna work well if they're drowning in you know under the weight of of, of expectation and and you know 
a, a sense that they should be doing 15 hour days and all that yeah. shit you know I just don't I don't buy into that I mean maybe it's a greed thing is there a sense of like you know um, you know unless I'm earning 300 grand a year then this is not working as a venture yeah. and it's like I don't buy into that you know, well, there's there's the di- there's a difference between wanting some of the money and wanting all of the money. Yeah, and the, the companies that I've always gravitated to or respected are the companies that just want some of it. They just yeah. want a, a fair share rather than yeah. yeah. You know. But again, it's back to that thing of, of you know said you know else kind of quote you know you 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 can be the better person mm. without you know and be successful. And I think it's it's. It, I mean, you know, he said that kind of last December when he mentioned that. And, but, I, you know, and I've been running my own uh, with the philosophy we stick to now for some time then. So it wasn't like Elle's words kind of changed the way we operate, but it was an interesting kind of validation, I suppose, of mm. like, yeah, and that's how I view it too. And, it, you know, in a weird way, it was quite nice because it's sort of an affirmation that, you know, you know, you're working with the right people. Yeah. You know, and there's just that sense of, uh, humanity about what they're what they're doing, and you know, and I, I like that. And I think it, it, you know, within the way this business operates, it's kind of like I keep saying to my guys lately, it's like there are there are allies of ours, and there's definitely people that are not allies. You know, mm. it's not like they're enemies, but there's just we have you know among our clients, you know, ninety percent of them. Are they share our sort of world view and we really click and we work really well together because there's just a mutual respect yeah. and all these kinds of things. I mean, it's interesting in that one thing I never thought that we would get into in a weird way is just the, you know, ha- how we all work. And it's something the music industry is awful at. It's like, how, just how do we work? How do we communicate? Yeah. How, how do we structure and how do we do this? And, and we spend a weirdly large amount of time trying to figure that out like you know if there's a bunch of mundane boring tasks can we find something to make them go away and i always kind of say if your job is like a triangle shape you know the sort of bottom third is that thick bit of the triangle and it's usually just shite yeah it's boring admin stuff you know it's like now i'm an md of a company of nine people i do a surprising you know i don't have an hr manager or an office manager so you know i'm sat there doing payroll ordering chairs you know because someone's <laughs> got to do it but it's those things where you're sort of looking at going, oh okay well can i just find something that makes us um, go away mike bithell the game developer who was issue episode one of this podcast mm. um they, they've just announced the john wick game right is, and uh it's really funny because he's even though he is writing the john wick game so mm. he he has to appro- get this script approved by Lionsgate and all this he still sees his most important job at his company is to know when to order pizza for everyone else <laughs> like he's that's still to him he's yeah. like his role is I have to make sure that these people who are working are happy even though he's yeah, got yeah. a massive responsibility yeah and uh well, it's the I, sort of thing of like from you know it's the seed isn't it if the seed yeah. is the pizza that makes the the good ideas come forth yeah, from yeah. happy you know I was gonna say healthy probably not with pizza but you know what I mean they're kind of well looked after and it is that and I think you know with us it's surprising the number of clients where part of our work has almost turned into a almost like a consultancy as to how to work better yeah, yeah. how to just communicate better and mm. and it's it's not the sexiest topic you know what I mean how can we work together better but 
it's what takes a lot of that shit out of your day so that we can all get more done. And mm. our view was always like, there was an article that I remember sending to Tom, this was like three years ago, about a guy that makes surfboards in America who decided to try and cut his work day for him and his, he had about 10 staff to reduce it to... Five hours, was it? Yeah, something like that. And they finish like two in the afternoon and then go surfing. Mm. And he kind of put time into it. It wasn't like a, just a like, hey, everyone, let's just knock off at two. Yeah, we'll just... He was like, right, if we're going to do like a nine till two day, there's no lunch break, there's no coffee breaks, I don't want any small talk. It's like we've got to come in and kind of hit it pretty hard. Yeah. But then we can do all the small talk and bullshit at two o'clock when we all go surfing for three hours or whatever. Yeah. Um, and his productivity doubled, you know, because they just spent time figuring out how to make that work and get where they want to mm. go. And me and Tom, like, we're a, we're a service business, so I guess we can't dictate our hours to quite the same extent. But there's always been this thing in our head of, like, if, if we can do the same job and not have to work an eight-hour day, that's, we're totally fine with that. You yeah. know, it's like, there's not that sense of, like, gravid kind of, we, you know, must work. It's like, no, you know, these days, if I can do no work and spend the day going back to making music and doing things that really kind of bring me you know, a lot of pleasure and relaxation and joy, then I'm completely at ease with that. And yeah, <laughs> like, and feeling like you don't, your free time is well spent makes it easier to go and do your yeah. commitment time. Your Yeah, yeah, you've got to have that. And I think it took me a long time to learn that for me, uh, relaxation isn't something that happens when I'm not working. It's not like a, uh, you know, if I'm not if I'm not working, I'm relaxing. The truth is, if I'm not working, I might be watching TV thinking about work or I might be walking thinking about work. Mm. So I kind of realised a couple of years ago that I needed to sort of proactively relax. Yeah. So now I, you know... I'm Actively like, relax. Yeah, well, yeah, it's yeah. like, you know, I'm addicted to Assassin's Creed, which I think you've already heard about yeah. at some length. Um, you know, so I'll do that because it love that. But which I'm is funny with serious murder. Open world, <laughs> open world video games are, are day jobs. In, in their weird way there because you have a list of tasks I've got to go yeah, do yeah. this I've got to go to this place but like if you are someone who is a workaholic as such yeah some people would say well it's bad that you're still technically working they say, well no maybe that just fulfills that need in me to tick yeah. off a checklist yeah, but yeah. I'm still running around having fun jumping on my horse stabbing that guy and well for me it's, it's do you, you play as the woman or the man the man Oh, unlucky man. Yeah. Unlucky. Oh, I couldn't do it. Don't say that. Couldn't do it. I look I checked my hours actually the other day, just out of curiosity. I've done hundred and seventy five hours. Wow. Now. I'm like it's a, it's a definite point where I feel like I should reflect on my choices in life. But I don't care because it's just it it it's really important with your head to to disconnect. And for me, you know, I think you it, it's not something I've considered really, where there's it's a structured game, you know, it is a thing yeah. of uh, you know, Talk that. to me when you have 2,000 hours in a game. <laughs> but it is that thing, isn't it, of like I've done a thing and you get the reward of completion yeah. and you've cleared a camp or whatever. It's, it's you know. actually why I've... Uh, there's a Destiny and Destiny 2. Yeah. Um, Destiny 1 I have 2,000 odd hours in. Bloody hell. Um, Destiny 2 I have 300. Right. And I... Because I realised that it was fulfilling that need to, to get things done too well. Yeah, yeah, like the way they lay out because Destiny is designed as a live service mm. as well, which is, ugh. but 
it deliberately has things that reset each day or each week. Got it. And then it has seasons, so new mm. content. Is, yeah, yeah. So it's got this constant churn of a to-do list. And it's yeah, like, yeah. why? Why am I doing this? You mm. know? Mm. And I realized as soon as I stopped that game, I was more productive. Weirdly, I still play another game I've got 2,000 hours in, a game called The Bind of, Binding of Isaac, but that doesn't have that checklist thing. Yeah, I've yeah. unlocked everything I'm ever going to unlock. I right. have no thing I have to do in that game. Mm, mm. The only reason I'm playing it is because I want to. Yeah. I, I, weirdly, I use that when I'm listening to podcasts or doing research for this. Anything I have to listen to, it's just nice to be doing something. Yeah, just, you know, yeah, yeah. No, I get that. I mean, you know, it's the same with me when I'm listening to music. I tend to be out and about yeah. more these days. I don't. It's pretty rare that I'll just sit and listen to music and not be doing something yeah, else. A passive, you know. a, a passive listening yeah. uh, is something I do more than active. Yeah. Obviously, music, although I don't earn a living from music in any way, um, music still, I still consider it my job. Yeah. It's still my craft, so yeah, yeah. I actively listen to things when people want me to, or mm. when I'm I am doing something commissioned or whatever. But, yeah, so it's yeah. you know it's a funny one for me. I just find that you know those things that help you relax. I mean, and I think it's the same with making music. You know, I've been you know just just learning that all again. And mm. It's been great, you know. But again, it's it's something that requires a sufficient amount of concentration to take me away from the day job yeah and that sort of stuff and and it is that thing of like the disconnection then allows you to come back with fresh ideas and it's amazing how you have to clear space for the sort of subconscious side of your your creative personality to to bubble up and it's been weird you know it's like i was playing assassin's creed and uh the the new dlc the fate of atlantis came down i was sort of sitting there thinking this is quite good value because at the time i bought not the really expensive version, yeah. maybe the, not deluxe, but whatever the gold version was or something that came with all the season mm. stuff. And at the time it was about 75 quid and I thought, you know what, don't mind, I'm going to spring for this. But the more DLC they release that I've paid for up front, I'm like, this is better and better value. But it kind of got me sat there and looking at it and in the end I was, you know, I was sat there thinking, I wonder if you can do like a season pass for an album. Like what if Run The Jewels put an album out where, where it was like, here's the album, but for a little bit more, you can have two T-shirts, mm. you know, over the next six to nine months. Yeah. Or we'll give you the next EP on vinyl or something. So there's a sort of I just, thing there. I'm just scared of, like, any other creative industry using the there's, games industry's bleeding <laughs> edge. <laughs> well, I think you're always looking at this stuff, though, and just thinking, are there different ways of doing it I mean I yeah. think it was because I was looking at it thinking actually pound for pound this has been really good value yeah you know the game was 75 quid and I've spent 175 but the weird on. thing is that value it is there's some odd little things that happen with that because um, it changes there's a lot of companies who are making those um, uh, I call them nebulous open world collectathons because that's mm. what that is. And, yeah, yeah. And it's a really enjoyable one. And it, mm. the environment, it's worth the time. It's like tourism, isn't it? Wandering around ancient Greece. Yeah. But that in, does encourage games to change. Instead of, we don't get very many 10 hour narrative experiences anymore. Very, yeah, very yeah. few. Yeah. Whereas some of the greatest games of all time are those experiences. Yeah. And so. It's 
how that quest for that value but really that value is trying to get more money out of you the consumer mm. instead of paying 60 you spent 80 or 90 yeah yeah um but yeah how that changes the industry but also how it changes the audience because mm. now if a indie developer comes along and, and makes a 15 hour experience that's 20 quid people are like oh yeah that's that's not great value and it's per like, hour. <laughs> you know whereas yeah thinking of no movie is is judged on the length yeah yeah we judge it on the emotional engagement yeah know? i mean it's a funny one it, it it bears a sort of weird thing to i i wrote this piece recently about uh, why I I feel streaming services are I mean I use the term gaslighting which I was deliberately being a bit baity with that yes but, um, <laughs> but are kind of selling us on this thing that is sort of fundamentally not, yeah this not is true we are we've led naturally I didn't have to segue or anything this yeah well good. no it's a, and the reason I say it is because I kind of realised that I needed you know I've I've there's no way of saying. Can't, I feel like in British culture you can't say it so that sounds like a massive prick but it's like I've done alright like Motive and I was doing alright yeah you know I'm, I'm comfortable financially I'm yeah. not, not rich but I'm good so I can afford to spend money every yeah. now and again yeah. you know yeah. all that. but it's, it's kind of like I can afford to spend money on things and I just hit this thing of like I feel like morally I should uh, patronise in the in the literal sense artists by uh, by giving them money for for the music I love. Mm. Um, so it took me back to things like Bandcamp and like just you know the world I came up through was was that world of underground you know beat producers and all that stuff. I did a radio show for years that you know brought in that whole area of uh, you know of kind of that point where sort of hip hop stopped and electronic indie music type stuff started and there was always gap in the middle with Prefuse 73 and Machine Drum and Spectre and all these kinds of people and, and that was my world and I kind of went back to picking through that in 2019 and and thinking actually number you know I want to give them whatever seven mm. eight nine quid because I know that doing it on Bandcamp actually makes a difference to them and aside from the validation thing of like someone's paid the money you know, I like the idea that for every ten pound I'm paying someone in bank account, they're probably keeping sort of I don't know after deductions six 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 fifty something like that seven quid. Uh, yeah, yeah fifteen percent isn't it? Uh, on PayPal. Uh, yeah, it's a PayPal take like. Let's not get into that. But, no, but, but bottom line <laughs> it's, is, it's actually closer to more. eight. Yeah, so they the keep tenors, a lot more yeah. than uh, they would via any other means, and so I just I and now I've sort of got this thing of like if I've spent money on it which i know it's not a it's a it's a flawed logic and i and i was criticized for this when i in the article um but it does make me invest into it it's like if i've had to part with money mm. i will spend more time appreciating the thing I, i've spent money on part of that though i think is our age oh i'm sure because yeah. we we never had like when i walked in if i wanted a bat cat album so an out of like when i bought joy division unknown pleasures from the virgin megastore it cost me 1650 right that was at the time you know where where that's 
for a 40 minute album, you know, that's a lot of money. Mm. And I was all already on my way to Joy Division fandom, but I put more hours into that record because A, yeah. I didn't have this vast selection of other stuff because yeah. I just spent all my money on that. And and B, I felt like I, I owed myself mm. that time yeah. with that record. Whereas now, if you can have everything for free, maybe you don't quite see the value, you yeah. know? Yeah. And which is which is one of the scary things with with Spotify, and which why why I agree that you should have used the word gaslighting in that because they've they've done more to change the perception of the value of music than say Pirate Bay ever did. Yeah, they sort of you know, and there's this thing of you know people will discover the music and they'll spend money on it elsewhere, and I, I mean, yeah, maybe. I just think it's the sort of narrative that you know that's the that mechanism they've set up with this kind of abundance of everything is is a great way to discover new music because the way in which you discover it is you know I think it's really only coming to light now just how you know it's turning into just casual streaming and you're seeing this with artists who've now you know come up through Spotify's playlists and are having you know they'll have half a billion streams and yet you know, we'd probably struggle to sell out a 500-cap venue. This, yeah, we, um, B. Dolan was talking to me about uh, SoundCloud rappers and the amount of them who have tens of millions of, of listens, yet they'll come to New York and they can't sell a 200-cap yeah. room. Yeah, yeah. Because we're not, we're not as engaged, we're not as invested in that. Mm. It's like, oh, that's a good song. But, yeah. you know, having Doesn't mean to, anything. It doesn't you, move you. In the article, you use the analogy uh, of going into a record shop and instead of the guy behind the counter recommending one or two things, 20 people will come out and fill up your car with every record that ever existed. Yeah. Uh, and it, what made me... Something that I realised was that the guy in the record shop, for me personally, mm. often got it wrong. Yeah. And that was good. Yeah. Like, the algorithm... It's just pairing me with other rational... Uh, I think they're called rational agents is the, the algorithm for... Right. Um, yeah. If you like this, you'll like this. Because yeah, yeah. it's based on... It's um, a sequential sort of However many logic, other people like it? the same things as you and it's the 5% difference yeah, is yeah, what they're yeah. trying to show you. And um, But when the guy in the record shop gets it wrong, it's because it's what he perceives in that band you love. Yeah. And that usually, those mistakes are the things that usually led on to like, oh, wow, no, this is fucking Yeah, yeah, it's rad. like a happy accident. Yeah, whereas the algorithm doesn't make that mistake. No. It just dumb, like, and it's, it's very frustrating because not only are you, as an artist, having to fight the algorithm to get heard in the first place, mm. or, or the Facebook algorithms to get seen, or to, for anyone to know you exist. Yeah, then yeah. to realise that if you're not a carbon copy of another band, then view, the listener's not going to hear you. My problem with Spotify is there's no encouragement to progress, uh, like to push things forward, to make something new. Yeah. Because the algorithm is so dumb. It mm. is so just blunt. But also, there's no encouragement to even make an album. 
because of the way yeah because they prioritize playlists and they prioritize playlists so it was 63 days for me when i look at the stats on spotify for artists because they care because mm. they care one track the track that got pushed to the discovery and all that has 10 times the listens as other Anything tracks else, yeah yeah you know those tracks towards the tail of the album are some of the best on there because I crafted an album. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, well, there was no point. Yeah. If we're in Spotify terms. So. No, and that's the annoying thing. I mean, you know, it's equally for me, it's such a cold interface of like, you know, artist name and track title. And no, there's no story. Mm. You know, and, and it makes me feel like an old fart sort of saying it, but it was that thing of like, you'd pull out the artwork, you know, you pull out a 12 inch and just be like, fucking hell. Yeah, yeah. What's going on there? And you look on the back and be like, all right, who produced this? You know, who's in the band? What are they saying? What's the weird shit written on the inside of the, yeah, I want, you know, on the, on the record and all that? It's, I want the, the rumour. I want the weird stories that go. You know, yeah. I remember um, Mouldy Peaches, uh, when Who's Got the Crack came out on Seven. Yeah. Um, my mate Mike was, like, really excited. And I was like, all right, what, what is this? And it's like, uh, I don't. No, I just heard about it. One of them wears a Spider-Man suit. Mm. That was it. And then we were off. We were like, okay, I need to hear this record now. Yeah, for yeah. dumb reasons. And yeah, then yeah. it turned out that that first Mouldy Peaches album was an amazing record. Kimmy yeah, Dawson yeah. is hilarious. and You know. But you don't get that in, in, in social media in general now. We're, mm. we're crafting. Like, so I tweeted today about mental health. Obviously, I've, I've been in and out of, of um, I don't know what the word is, therapy and stuff for just over 20 years. Right. And I don't know how to talk about it on social media. Yeah. But what I couldn't express is the reason I don't know how to talk about it is because I can't honestly talk about it mm. because of, of likes and retweets and all that. Like yeah. I'm, I'm having to compress it down into one tweet because I don't want any part of it taken out of context and yeah if we're changing the way we talk as artists but we're also changing the ways we create because spotify only one track matters Mm. on an album Mm. it, it it makes me very nervous about what it is to be a creator going forward yeah you know but that's where i you know i i like that with some of our clients you know there's a sort of rejection of that concept Mm. i'm a big fan of this notion that like you know i mean it's something that we're pushing quite a lot now within the within the the company is this sort of sense of like just ignore everything that's out there Mm. don't because there's so much of this like i'm doing it because that's how it's always been done and it's a sort of yeah, I don't really care for that. We we don't know. have to follow those that came before us. Yeah, well, you just look at what you know. Like I said, there's only the band and and the fans, and it's like you know, just because Spotify is there and might be the biggest thing at the minute, it doesn't mean that you have to you have to rely on it and pander to it. So so you know, we worked with Moby. Yeah. Moby had made his second album called Long Ambience Two of of very long ambient tracks. Um, so well, well titled, uh, you know, and each song is about forty minutes long. So it's you know it's quite a big mm. release in terms of duration. Um, and we were looking at that, and we're kind of like, you know, this stuff. I mean, Spotify puts 
you know, a lot of production music on these sorts of ambient playlists. There's been a bit of drama about that as to, mm. you know, they're sort of filling out with sort of muk music that they've so just got off the So production music, for those who don't know, are essentially tracks that Spotify have bought or commissioned to be made that... Yeah. ...that, although are made by artists, because some of these people, they're more like uh, music in a lift or whatever. Yeah, It's yeah. created for the purpose of filling the air rather than yeah. an artist's vision behind them. Yeah, it's supposed to just be there is usually the thing, you know. It yeah. tends not to... And obviously they do that because writing. they then don't have to pay a royalty on it. Yeah. And they can make more money. Yeah. So with all that going on, it's kind of like ambient... It felt like ambient music was never going to find... Uh, much attention there because of what was going on and it was I I, I mean it's it, it's a funny thing to talk about because it sounds like I'm just you know braying on about how, how great we are and it's not really that it's that there was just this sense of like you there's a there's a great uh, kind of ads um, wizard from yesteryear called Dave Trott who's this sort of marketing guru but in a very refreshing kind of mm. sensible way, not a Gary Vaynerchuk kind of way. And he always says this thing about, you know, in the face of, of a problem of to how to take something to market, you should always try and look to swim upstream to where the problem maybe doesn't exist yet mm. and things like that. And it was very much an application of that logic with Moby of like, we were looking around and go, hang on. At the time, I was using an app called Calm which I used to help fall asleep with sleep stories and stuff like that. And Calm is an app that is just, it's all about sort of relaxation. It's mm. meditation. It's got a lot of sort of new agey type music in there. Uh, it does sleep stories. That's just people like Stephen Fry reading stuff in a very gentle, slow mm-hmm. voice to send you off to sleep. Um, and it's got 45 million people using it worldwide. And we were looking at that and we we're like, well, they don't have any music by anyone you know. It's same, probably just production music mm. again, you know, blah, blah, blah. But this could be great for Moby to take him to a bunch of people that, of course, a bunch of them will know Moby and may already be fans. But the law of averages says that among 45 million people, there's a bunch of them who are either lapsed or haven't heard of him or weren't aware that he made this type of music. Who, yeah, might have left at animal rights. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, any of those sort of things. So, you know, we got in touch with Calm. Um, you know, my colleague Tom did. And, uh, you know, spoke to them and they were kind of like, yeah, you know, we'd love to do this. And it, you know, there was the, and so, cutting a long story short, you know, we, the, the the album was on Calm exclusively for a month, mm. and you know, was it, they emailed forty million people about it. I think the impressions on it in the news was something like hundred million, you know, millions of plays, and basically a response to that record that you know, I can confidently say would have exceeded by a factor of 10 kind mm. of what it would have just got had it have just been sort of serviced in a normal manner to Spotify. I can't remember who, Spotify, I mean, who it remember. was, but there's, uh, there was, when Ragu, the the Prego Ragu Pasta Sauce Wars, yeah. a couple of decades ago, um, the phrase, there's no perfect pasta sauce came. Mm. And it was this realization that they, at the time, were both trying to sell like two different sources. Yeah. And they were head to head. And it was for Prego, I think, that whoever the marketeer was, he, he went out and did surveys and asked people what they wanted. And this guy wanted chunky and they wanted garlic. And that he realized that there wasn't just one path, there were many. And now when you walk into a supermarket, and mm. obviously we don't have Prego over here, but um, 
how many different types of ragu are there? It's, mm. it's like an mm. aisle all to itself of just different flavors. And um, I suppose that is something as a creator we need to learn. that There's not just that one route to, yeah. to the audience. Weirdly, this podcast didn't... Originally, I wanted to make a music podcast. Right. And um, I've been talking to Pip for years about doing this podcast, at least two. Mm. And I wanted it to be a music podcast, and I wanted to present stuff that people wouldn't have heard that I loved. Yeah. Um, and make a lot of effort in finding those band camp bands and, and finding those artists who aren't going to get hit by the algorithm. Yeah, yeah. And then obviously I realized that paying PRS and stuff was just not yeah. like uh, when I had no intention of trying to make money from a podcast. Yeah. It changed my perception of it uh, that I would then have to do this music thing with the intention of making money yeah. to pay. Even though, like, if it wasn't a success, it would only be 50 quid every three months. But if mm. it, as soon as it got past, like, 3,000 plays in three months, which we're well past that now, it would start costing me cash. So I was like, okay, okay. And then I realized that I make a vast amount of ambient music. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm up to... I think I, my little ambient playlist of stuff I've created on um, in my iTunes is 16 hours. Right. And I was like, maybe that's it. That's what I thought I can make an ambient playlist. And I was going for an equally on-the-nose name as Moby's, Ambient Hours. Mm. Um, just having these. And the only reason I didn't do it was just because of that. It didn't it was already doing making that stuff was already fulfilling me yeah, yeah. i didn't need to put it in the world for to yeah, gain yeah. some other thing yeah. but having these conversations seemed more important seemed more like i was gonna more important for me mm. i don't care about you listeners as you well <laughs> know as i tell you regularly don't go um but yeah like we i've we are in this weird place where we see how things have succeeded and we want to copy that. Yeah. Yet, at the same time, we're, we're constantly like, well, this is bad about our industry. And it's a mm. really odd thing of how we find our, our way through that, you know. But I think you just, you know, it's just seeing where opportunity lies. You mm. know what I mean? And it, and I think that's what annoys me is it, you know, the, the Moby thing is, is sh you know, sh should be looked at, which I know sounds terrifically arrogant but should be looked at more for just that thing of like you know why do people just assume that it's kind of like I've made a record can I get the record playlisted on Spotify yeah and it's like there are a million other things going on why do mm. you have to go there you know there are different places to take music different ways to be uh, heard and, and, and understood and that that's the thing as well like that when people when you talk about Spotify, people say, well, I buy merch. Yeah. Okay. Merch only makes money if you've got some level of following. Mm. You know, like spending like on good quality t-shirts, yep. cost, there is cost there. So a lot of bands won't be able to afford to do that. Yeah. Well, I go to see them live. Okay. That, yes, yes, that might help. Mm. But again, if they're a small band, they're only getting a small fee. Yeah. So it might not be helping them that much. But also, what about a left-field electronic produ producer who the only scene for what they do is in Berlin 
and they're in Stockport. Yeah, you yeah. know, like for those people, it it's learning that not it doesn't always help. And mm. I think Spotify have been very good at building this propaganda of that even the smallest artists can succeed on there, and it's like yeah they but they don't you know but i think what always annoys me is they always go well here's x you know and x has now had hundreds of millions of streams and you're like but i'm not x yeah and that's just one lightning strike which Mm. it's not a it's not a model that you rinse and repeat for everyone to get a thing and you know there's been people who've said you know with a degree of of truth i think that you know it was never easy and no. it's not like there's no, you, you know, you're not entitled just because you made no. something for it to be played by everybody and heard by everyone. But I think what frustrates me is just that there are, there, there's many, many things like platforms and destinations that kind of pull pull you away from the, the, you know, they cause a sort of deviation from the most obvious course. And the most obvious course is own the channel of communication with your fans. And then you're not, subject to algorithms mm. and you know and the whims of Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and all these as to yeah. how many people see your posts and stuff like that. Now, that's not to say that social media has no value, but you know, with all of our artists, we keep banging the drum about this thing of like, great, you've got, you know, fifty thousand followers on this platform or that one. But that's not the end point. The end point should be that you try and kind of upstream them into you know, email or, you know, even web notification systems, the browser pushes, where, yeah. because then everyone gets those. You're not subject to an algorithm. Mm. And those things are hyper-efficient at driving sales. You know, and I keep saying to people, it's like, there's a reason if you, you know, I don't use Facebook barely ever. I mean, I've got an account because I need one for work, but but there's a reason Facebook keeps emailing me saying, you know, Blah has posted an update, Darren. It's because nine times out of ten, that shit works. Yeah. So even social media people know, the platforms know that email works as a means to drive a response. So there's these things where it's like, you know, looking at any of our artists, the most money is generated via channels like email. Mm-hmm. And working on those channels, it, it counts. Mailing, but it's yeah. not a fashionable answer going, well, actually, email's pretty Just good. Just have a like, mailing list. No, it's not, mate. I'm, like, you know, I'm all about the Instagram. And you're like, well, yeah, fine. But then Instagram... You know, even the term social network is hilarious because it's an ad network. It's always a fucking ad network. It's Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, name your pick. You know, they're all ad networks. But they gave it this, it's a beautiful bit of subterfuge to go, it's not an ad network. It's not that, Dan. It's it's a social network. So you tell your mates about what you're up to and they'll love that and you get that validation loop. But it's an ad network. If you are on a social network... Mm. And I genuinely believe you're an unpaid intern for that company. Every yeah. tweet you make is is generating traffic for Twitter to yeah. serve adverts. Yeah, yeah. Or you know, and it's it's a bizarre thing. It weirdly sort of off the point, but when people used to tell me about how music should be free, especially around Pirate Bay and mm. the Pirate Party, the political wing. Yeah. And they would talk about democratising of music and how it was better for everyone if it was free. Mm. The one thing no one ever really talked about was just how much fucking money they were making on ads on yeah. Pirate Bay, <laughs> you know? Well, well it's, it's like the same saying that people say, it's like, Google hates copyright, but they're not bloody fond of a, of a patent. Mm. You know, and it's that same thing of like, well, you seem very anti-copyright, and yet... 
Anyone treads on your patents and you're down on them with all the force on the planet. Yeah. And it's the same shit, you know, it's just different different names, but same mm. deal. So, yeah, it just doesn't stack up. And, and I think that's the thing for us increasingly is sort of, you know, we're moving now. We've started managing uh, a friend of mine, Wrong Tom. Uh, and part of the reason we, and it was sort of me, Matt and Tom, and Matt and Tom are, are directors in Motive Unknown, we were sort of talking about this and there was this kind of thing of what what hap- what would happen if we managed an, an artist because we work with a lot of bands that have hit a sort of certain level mm. you know and they then they're already there the you know they well you mentioned earlier you're working with the up and coming spice girls yes you know, yeah they're one of our clients yeah and, uh, indie, indie rock are indie, they? Yeah. i can't remember <laughs> yeah. yeah got a lot of promise um but yeah, you know, working with those sorts of artists, and they're already there, so it's there is an audience already. And but we, but there's a sort of, you know, there's 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 a tiers of artists below that that just don't aren't at that sales mm. potential. I suppose if we're going to be crass about it, and we we deliberately wanted to go back to this and say, okay, let's take someone like Tom, who's a great friend of mine, and just kind of look at what he's doing. And it's not, it's, you know, it's not about money. There's nothing to do with money in it. But it was just a case of, can we take somebody that, that isn't at that kind of lovely high level where they've got hundreds of thousands of people, and what can we do for them? Mm. And how can we change this for them? And it's been really interesting to sort of be talking with him and going, do you do this? And, you know, no. Mm. Why not? Well, you know, and it's interesting even with Tom where it's like he kind of, I don't think he's got a website because he basically pivoted to social media and it was like, all right, well, that's your first mistake. Yeah. You know, in the, there's no destination. Uh, email list, same, kind of like got pretty much kicked to the curb in the face of social media. And all these things that actually were the most valuable channels got kind of put to one side because all around you is this sense of like, no, you know, you must be on these things. So it was like, I got that real kind of buzz of excitement reading that, I think it was, was it Nils Fram kind of just said, look, you know what? I don't like Facebook, I don't like what they stand for, and I don't like what it represents as an interaction with me. Mm. So I'm not going to play that game anymore. I'm off. Yeah. And if you want me, I've got a website, you can find me. And this is the thing we always say, is like, we say this a lot in music marketing, it's like labels get so obsessed with this idea of like, you know, there's a new Dan and Pip record out and we must advertise it as like, listen now on Spotify. And everything about the advertising is like, stop what you're doing right now and go and listen to the whole album. Yeah. And it's like, no one does that. Nobody. And I always, my analogy is like, you're walking down the street and I, you know, you're, you're, you're on your way to meet someone. And mm. I just step out from behind a lamppost and I'm like, you're right, Dan. Uh, got a new record here I think you might like. And you might be sat there going, oh. Oh, cool. I mean, yeah, okay. But I'm on my way to meet someone. So not now, but maybe, you know, maybe yeah. circle back later and people are like, no, no, can you stop now and, and listen? It's like, <laughs> no, and you fuck off. And it's sort of, and, and we treat people like they're too stupid to go later on and check this stuff out. And it's the, mm. you know, it's a thing that really, really makes my blood boil in music marketing is like everyone's very, uh, you know, they're just, it's like straight to, straight to the end thing. You know, mm. it's like going into a bar and just seeing a beautiful lady if you're single and just being like, you're right, do you want to have sex? And then be like, Wait, no. no. <laughs> you know, That doesn't work? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I feel... Suddenly oh. it all becomes clear. No, it's that, but you know what I mean? It's that thing of just like, <laughs> yeah, just, you know, there's a crawl, walk, run kind of thing going on mm. there. And, 
and we're too myopic in that sense and it, it drives me wild and it's and it you know seeing these people where they'll turn around and just say I'm not going to play that game but I I know that you're all smart enough to find me yeah so me disappearing on Facebook doesn't mean I'm going to fucking vanish in a puff of smoke you'll find me I just won't be here and I really wish more artists would do that rather than because the number I've seen where like, you know, I remember sitting at one point I had to kind of audit what we were doing with Run the Jewels and, and realised that we'd set up something like I think between the, the guys individually and they run their own stuff so that's for, the, for them to manage but factoring that in and the official band channels it was something like 14 ways to talk to fans Yeah, and I was just like this is ridiculous you know we've, we've fallen in that trap of like just because it's there we've got to now service yeah. that as well I said, no, you don't. You just, so, you know, a bit of quiet culling is needed to just go, you know what? We're here and we're here. And if this you. This is where we are. And yeah. it's fine. And you'll find us. And just have the confidence to, you know, that people will know where you are to, to connect. And so there's just, a, you know, that whole side of it, I think, is, is, is interesting. And it sort of feels like even now, a big part of what we do is to sort of, you know, unfuck all of the horrors <laughs> from that these people have, have, have had, you know, over the last yeah. 10 years of like, you must do this, that and the other and, you know, don't buy into it. I mean, it's interesting, like, even looking at someone like Pip, because mm. Pip, as an individual, is definitely, you can see he's got that mindset of like, oh, he's... well, hang on, if I can do this myself, why, oh, <laughs> why, why would I involve somebody else? Yeah, Pip's, you know? Pip's like always been the, the hard-working, like, independent guy who wants to yeah, do it yeah. himself and wants to do it his way and his way has proven correct on multiple in occasions a, in a weird way for me it was like the work with Dan and Pip in a weird way predated the sort of mindset around the jewels and there's definite similarities there in the sense of it wasn't like with you and Pip the, the releases were sort of self-released and things like that which is where Run the Jewels are now they're kind of a, 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 well no, I'm actually not such a rare example these days it's, it's more common but yeah. an example of a band where they literally you know they are their own label and they are their own business and everything else they're not really in hock to anybody in the, yeah. beyond that um, but there was just this thing of you know that sense of like if we can do it ourselves should we be doing it and I think there was just that, that understanding that you can take the leap and it won't you know, it shouldn't spell doom, you know, and yeah, it's just sort of fascinating in that sense of, you know, the dealing with you guys first time round and the, seeing the the thought processes at work even then to where I am now working with people like RTJ where it's a similar thing. So what you're really saying and probably a positive note to end on is that mm. Run the Jewels owe me and Pip all their success. <laughs> Essentially, it's, it's kind of uh, that might be uh, an interesting maybe. take. Yeah, yeah, maybe. You know, maybe, maybe. Who knows? Like, just saying. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, with all these things, it's you, you carry everything that went before with you, you know, and you it, um, you learn and really Philosophy Tube, uh, this uh, episode six, talked about when he was at drama school, he's got a degree in. Uh, an MA in philosophy and an MA in acting. Mm. And something they do in drama is they, they give you a canvas, like a group of you, and you get to paint on it. Mm. And then you have to hand that canvas over to someone else. And then the, the person next to you can either continue what you've done mm. or just white out what you've done and start, and start fresh. Yeah, And you do that and then you let it dry. And then when you look at that, mm. everything that was covered in white, yeah, you 
you can still see what was underneath. Yeah. And it's like, no matter how much, like all your previous experience, whether you're editing out something you started writing and you change, you pivot to something else, mm. that work is still there. It, yeah. it, and it's always going to be there. You yeah, know? yeah. Like from a personal perspective, I still know that Stunner, which is one of the favorite tracks I ever wrote with Pip, mm. I know that's from things I was doing on a four-track tape deck and yeah. with delay pedals and stuff. Yeah. That was still there. And although I may have moved away from it, it, it always comes back. You mm. Know? Mm. And it's it's definitely an interesting thing, like how artists grow yet carry things through them and yeah. how that affects everyone. You know, It's not just a creative thing because you no. can have a job that your job is quite techy and quite yeah. in front of a computer. Yeah, yeah. But you're still having to create yes. s- solutions to problems. Or, yeah, yeah, all the time. Or solutions to questions that haven't been asked yet. And mm. that requires creativity. Yeah. And uh, I think that's why... I think that's why I asked you one. Because I think people don't really... I think most people don't realise how creative their daily life is. Yeah. Like, even the person with the most mundane job in the world is having some creative yeah you're finding solutions to stuff because you know Mm. in in, in any you know you work everyone works for the most part um and within that you're normally you know part of your job will be improving things or finding better ways of doing it or Mm. or stuff like that i mean it's something within motive unknown we we've tried to nurture is that sort of creative thing you know i'd I always I quite like that thing of Google that they used to do with the sort of twenty percent projects. Mm. So you could use twenty percent of your time to just sort of do pet projects. Yeah. And I just it, but to me it was always that I just like the idea that someone's twenty percent someone's time was sort of just just sort of creative thinking with no necessary sense of like okay what's the return on investment? Yeah. Be? Yeah. So within what we do, there's there's you know I like to maintain that, and it's and it connects to things like well being again of. You know, if people are happy and healthy, they're thinking freely and their, you know, the best thoughts are coming through. Mm. And that's, it's what has allowed us, I think, to build something that, you know, it feels quite special in the sense that, you know, it's, it's, it's allowing us to bring opportunities and to sort of, you know, I do, I know it sounds a bit like you're getting a bit on your horse about it, but I feel like we are coming at it differently and trying to find solutions for people that you know better nurture a relationship between the artist and the fan and it goes back to that thing of like you, you kind of can have your cake and eat it like you can mm. help an artist do great things with fans in a genuine and meaningful way and it not just be a cynical like yeah we'll help you you know sell a hundred thousand units but yeah. we'll, you know fuck over all your fans in the process or make sure that they'll never buy a record from you again you know, and, and, and be true to the to the thing at the heart of it. And and I think that sort of, that attitude is not as prevalent as it should be in the music business. Mm-hmm. And I think within this, if we can nurture that all the more, then we're all the better for it. Hey there, hang on, let me get, let me get a sip of coffee. Not that I need any more. I'm talking very fast today. Mm. Mm. That was delightful. I hope you enjoyed that. That was Darren Hemmings again, if you didn't didn't listen to the intro. If you skipped that, that's very rude. I, I spent time on that. Um, but yeah, I hope you found that interesting. Darren knows a lot about the music industry and it was really nice for me to just sit down and have those conversations. And 
I don't know, I think we think about it very similarly. And I think we, we tackled actually some big things about how we approach the things we love, you know? Like, realizing that if you want a thing to exist, you might need to do more than give a corporation money. You might have to go and find a way of supporting the creator directly, you know? Like some of you do on patreon.com forward slash Dan Wow, that was a segue. That was good. That was a really good one. Um, but yeah, again, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, next time's guest, which is in a fortnight. I can't now say next week's guest. Uh, I'm going to have to think of a better way of saying that. On the next episode, that's it already. Nailed it. See, creativity, a bit of creative thinking there. On the next episode is a, uh, I don't know what you'd call him, innovator, electronic musician, um, mm, performer, just, you know, those people who are way more talented than should be allowed. It's one of those. It's one of those people. Um, so yeah, that'll be in a fortnight. And I'm off recording more episodes. I've got maybe five or six. Uh, booked in between now and the first week of June. I'm going to be a busy boy making podcasts for you all. Anyway, anyway, go spread the good word on my behalf. Uh, go check out danosack.bandcamp.com for all the musical music you'll ever need. And, um, and I'll see you very, very soon on the next episode of Falling Forward with Dan Sack. Wait, did I put that in the intro? Hey, I'm going to have to dub in saying that in the intro. Um, But you won't know I dubbed it in until afterwards. The magic of editing. Hey, welcome to episode 8 of Falling Forward with Dan Lassac. That's how it'll work. I'll just edit that in. Have fun. Bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. 
let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 